0: I'm Len Wolf, and welcome to this edition of our Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast series, Driving the Retail Buying Decision. Today's program features Jennifer Robison of Robison Retail Results, who shares how to create a retail space that is flexible yet focused, as well as how to understand the psychology behind retail shopping. Jennifer is admired in the industry as an expert who delivers interesting and usable strategies in the areas of space planning, visual merchandising, and sales. This podcast is brought to you by Yanmar. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Subscribing means you will receive an alert when upcoming episodes are released. Thank you to Yanmar for bringing us this podcast. Don't settle for less when you can have more. For example, Yanmar makes all its compact tractors major drivetrain components, the Yanmar engine, transmission, and axles all in-house. Because they're made to work perfectly together, you and your customers get a hard-working machine with more usable horsepower, less power loss, and a smoother, more comfortable ride. Yanmar's tractors are designed to work as hard as you do for a lifetime strengthen your dealership with Yanmar. Email them at agmarketing at yanmar.com or call 770-877-9894. Your retail store can drive up sales or drive away customers. For instance, an attractive, well-designed retail space can help customers uncover more products to buy, While a stale, dirty, or cluttered space may limit the time customers want to spend at your dealership. In today's Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast, brought to you by Yanmar, Jennifer Robison shares what she's learned from her 15 years in the retail segment, revamping dozens of small and large dealership showrooms. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for talking with us again and covering the topic of retail strategies. Today, we wanted to talk a little bit more detail about some of your expertise regarding the retail environment. And you've commented in the past that dealers really need to understand what they want their retail spaces to do, to know what their goals are before
1: taking on designing a retail
0: space. Can you share more on that topic?
1: Absolutely, Lynn. And thank you again for having me back on this topic. So when when I comment about the retail area and what you want it to do. I think there's a sometimes a disconnect that if you put stuff in the showroom, it just sells or it doesn't sell. And I think a showroom is very deliberately laid out to sell product in a certain fashion way or style or need, depending on what you do and what you sell. So a retail area should turn... A profit. So it's basically, you know, if you look at your whole showroom floor, it's like little cubes. And each one of those cubes basically is like a rental space. So when you put your products out there, you are renting space to that product. And if it doesn't sell, it's basically not paying you rent. So it's not always that the product isn't desirable, that it doesn't sell. It can be the fact that a customer just doesn't get it, see it, understand it, have ever seen it before and it doesn't register with them or they have other things on their mind and they just pass right over it. So I'm I'm very mindful that a retail space has to be deliberately set up so that people will engage with product. You know, they're coming in there for their needs And then they're also coming in for want products, things that they want. So that's what I mean, I guess, about a showroom needing to, you know, perform.
0: When a dealer is thinking about those needs and wants, how do the needs and wants share space within that retail environment?
1: Well, it depends on how big they are and how much space they take and how many, you know, the volume of what you need. But let's say the chemical business You know, most of the dealers are going to sell some sort of chemicals, and and those are really uh, items that are needed. Uh, So those pieces need to be in a place that are accessible, that you can see, that you understand that the product is broke down in a way that you know what is a two-cycle oil versus, you know, a silicone lubricant or a transmission oil or whatever it is. It needs to be easy to shop, easy to find, easy to access, and with a good supply. Um, you don't want it too low. You know, if if a product is small in scale, you don't want it below your waistline because you won't see it and you don't want it too high because you can't reach it. And if it's really technical in some way, it would need to be somewhere near the sales, you know, area so that you can explain it to customers. If it's pretty self-serve, then it can be in a lot of different places. And then the want items. Are Well, in my world, in the power sport world, those tend to be maybe the things that you don't need. They could be Chrome related. They could be technical devices. It could be all kinds of things that you want, but you don't necessarily need. But you want to discover want products in a store. You don't want those to be the kind of things that every time you walk in the store, oh yeah, we'd have to order that. Nobody ever wants those kind of a mindset so you know depending on what you sell you're going to want some some of the wants to be available in that store and sometimes they take up a wall sometimes they take up an end cap sometimes they're behind the parts counter depending on what they are like I like to put exhaust systems in some cases because they're really expensive and they're not self-explanatory it's like if I buy this seven hundred dollar exhaust system for my performance motorcycle what do I gain out of that? Do I gain horsepower? Does it have a different sound to it? What's what's the advantages for, for spending additional dollars on something I don't really need? And merchandising is a part of that. So it's really a scale issue and a volume issue on top of a needs and want decision making.
0: In past conversations, you also have used the word relevancy. That That's something that dealers need to keep in mind when they're designing their retail space. And can you comment on that as well in terms of maybe your experience in the power sports world and how our dealers can bring it over to the real, real equipment world, the idea of relevancy?
1: Yeah, I like that word. I guess I started using it because I, I just look at, at the products that are brought in to a store versus the products that are relevant. So you as a, a buyer, parts manager, whoever's in charge of making buying decisions, you might have a whole different sort of mindset of what you think your customers want. And it may be based on any number of things, or it may be based on your personal taste. And that happens. And if it's based on your personal taste, is that personal taste really relevant to 80% of the customers coming in the door? So you like dirt bike stuff in, in our world, or maybe it's, you know, Um, maybe you're a landowner, but a lot of people are coming in and using their tractors or their lawn equipment in a completely different way than you are, but you're still stocking the store in the way you would use that particular product. That would mean that you weren't relevant. And what I usually do when I'm working with, with um, dealers is I evaluate their unit sales and we look at the unit sales and the unit sales will tell us what's relevant so maybe 10 years ago, you sold a lot more um, high-dollar stuff and bigger equipment, and maybe today it's a lot more small-dollar, smaller equipment. Have you switched over, and have you kept pace with that?
0: Well, and another related topic is the idea of seasonality um, and how that relevancy might change throughout the year as well. Um, so how can dealers coordinate seasonality with, with all of the other things they have to coordinate?
1: Well, that's important. I mean, well, ideally, you'd like to look at your store every quarter and say, what is it that changes in my climate and how my customers use their product? Pretty much there's a winter season in most cases. So we need winterization, like whether it's stable, whether it's battery tenders to make sure that the batteries don't die, any number of sort of products like that for winterizing your vehicles is something that you would want to have in the stores probably a minimum of 30 days before that season really kicks off and you want to have it featured somewhere like an end cap and and things like that are a big deal when you're switching out into summer you know if your store sells things that are really summer only related you got to take it out of the back of the room and push it forward and put it in a key spot doesn't necessarily, again, have to be on a wall. Again, that depends on scale. If what you're selling is large scale and big volume, you're probably going to need some wall space. And if it's small scale, then you're probably going to need end caps on ends of aisles. So there's a lot of seasonality work that you can do. You want to keep things kind of moving and changing. You know, there's a lot of customers that many of your dealers probably have that they see every week, especially if they are in the business of you know lawn care and maintenance, and they're constantly in that store because something is broken and they have it in service, and they need to get more, you know, uh, service maintenance items or any number of things. More string, you know, think those customers need to see something a little bit different all the time. So I'd say monthly, you want to change some display in your store so it's some new item or some new location for an item that is more seasonal relevant.
0: And I think the strategy related to end caps is interesting because, you know, I personally am attracted to end caps as I'm walking throughout the store. Are there certain things that that dealers should keep in mind in particular regarding the the end caps?
1: End caps are leaders and they really usually lead to whatever is down that aisle. If you happen to have a store that's large enough to have um several rows of You know, displays that are mounted on the floor. They, There's a couple of brands between Logier and Madix and a few others that have those, what are like grocery store, mass market or retail racks, and they're fixed on the floor. You can't move them. Your end caps on those should be the theme of what's ever down that aisle. And be something that's kind of either a fast turner or a new hot product. They're super important. And, and sometimes stores do a lot with them. And sometimes stores ignore them and go, ah, you know, whatever. But they really need to change because that is a good spot to sort of change your message.
0: So it, that sounds like in terms of seasonality, you need to keep end caps in mind as well as new products keep end caps in mind. Um, certain customer demand also keep end caps in mind. Is, is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's totally right. You know, if you go to a show and you're going to look at some new product and you're not going to buy a ton of it, but you think it's really an important brand or product by, by goodness, you know, measure that space. It's usually that space can be either two foot wide or 48 inches wide by four foot tall or six foot tall, whatever your end caps are and kind of measure that space and think about what you want to put in there. I find people don't often do their purchases thinking about how they're going to display it very often it's usually like well hopefully it'll fit or they think it won't fit so they don't buy it at all and a lot of times if you know that there's three places in the store where you want to bring new product in we'll measure the space and then talk to the to the sales rep and see if, if the product has, you know, the right scale to fit that space. And of course your budget too, at the same point in time, most of your big box retailers, you know, pre-plan every inch of their stores. They know what they're going to dedicate, how much is going to go on it. They have some relationships with these um, vendor partners and brands. Um, So a target and a Walmart and a Kroger, all of those are very, very pre-deliberate at what they're doing and where.
0: That's an interesting point, so an end cap just really has a lot more power than probably a lot of people might think
1: Oh and there's probably cases where the brand is paying for an end cap. I'm not suggesting everybody go out and bug their bug their people for it, but there could be i you know that's real estate. I mean your showroom one hundred percent is real estate and and you want to return on that investment. So you want to be very deliberate about what you bring in there and how much and and that it's turning, that it's doing something for you and for the brand. Because if nothing is selling, it's not doing anybody any good. And you don't want to have a store full of product that looks like you sell stuff that really doesn't move at all. That, that is the kiss of death right there. It, it's costing you money. So everybody should be able to, no matter who's in this audience be able to make some money from their showrooms no matter how big it is or how much money they have or how much inventory they have. You really want to think about what you're doing and I just don't think everybody is able to do that or has.
0: We'll rejoin Jennifer's discussion, but I did want to take a moment again, thank our sponsor Yanmar for making this program possible. Using ever-advancing technology, Yanmar continuously strives to exceed customer expectations and deliver exceptional lifetime value by integrating its products, services, and knowledge into a superior quality, comprehensive solution. Visit them at yanmartractor.com backslash new dealer inquiry. So far in this podcast, Jennifer Robison has commented that dealers should think of their retail spaces as real estate, and they should measure their return on investment for that space. She also talked about the idea of relevancy in terms of products showcased. Let's get back to the program and hear more from Jennifer about ways to improve your retail showroom and increase retail sales. And you've talked before, and this goes along with this this thought that you had shared about uh, rotating your space, but the idea of having flexibility so that you're building flexibility into your retail space to allow for these changes. Can you talk about some ways that dealers can, can make their showrooms flexible?
1: Yes. So there's a number of different ways to do that. And some of the dealers may already do that. Anytime you can have a fixture... Um, that comes on wheels gives you that flexibility. And there's, there's several fixtures that don't. So if you do a huge chemical business and you sell a lot of winches and very heavy product, you're probably not best to have, um, you know, fixtures that are on wheels, although it can be done. Smaller stores could easily do it that way. I would recommend them. They make these gondolas that can be converted to different types of product depending on the accessories you purchase. So you, if you sold apparel and novelties, You could switch it over into chemicals by using shelves, going from hang bars. So there's a number of different types of flexible products, you know, and how you kind of lay out your counters so that your counters are kind of centralized in an area that if you did change your floor plan around, uh, you know, you wouldn't be stuffed in a corner somewhere. There's a lot of little tricks to be done in a a small store as well as a big one so that you can keep it flexible and keep it open, keep it – um, really walkable and visible as possible.
0: Now, with some of the fixtures that you've talked about, have have you seen good uses where dealers have just created their own their own fixtures?
1: Oh sure, yeah. I, I have seen some people make stuff with steel and wood, and steel and wood combos. And there's a couple of projects that I've worked that I'm currently working on with some dealers that are doing some showroom updates, and we are using some homemade stuff that I've designed for them. So they're going to build it and I'm just going to spec out what the build is. And it's pretty exciting. So we're trying to use a lot of, you know, what's very popular right now is that sort of rustic, industrial, modern, contemporary feel. It just kind of blends blends with a lot of different, you know, uh, lifestyles. You can do a lot with it. And so that's really popular right now.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and then you talked also about the idea of um, you know directing people and keeping them interested as they move through the store um, and i know that our dealers talk about staffing being an issue throughout the store and then also in terms of really having someone dedicated to the retail space so can you talk a little bit about some some ways that you know the retail space can direct people on its own if you don't have a person dedicated to watching the the space continually?
1: So the strategy in that case, let's say you've only got two people, maybe one and a half people that works on the parts and accessories counter and that happens, then it's really important to stock the store with hot, moving, popular items and don't go too deep and wide or too wide rather, with a lot of different brands and products. And and if you were selling apparel, just be really mindful of that because there's a lot of products that need to be sold. I know there's a big thought process out there. A lot of people are under the impression that because there's so much information online that everybody already knows what they want. And that isn't always the case. Sometimes people want to be directed, even though they've pre-done the research on, on a particular brand or product. So you don't always have time to spend. If there's just less of you, you can't spend time with customers. So put stuff in the stores that probably has a better likely of selling by itself. And it's easy to display and it's probably larger, bulkier items. And you know, uh, you know, like doing, if you, I just don't like to see a store crammed full of stuff and you can't maintain it and fill the shelves and stock it and clean it and go and talk to somebody when you're just absolutely stuck at the counter handling customers coming in and the phone calls. I mean, I know what that's like. You get completely buried. So keep it really simple and really focused.
0: Well, and I know when I go into certain stores, like just even grocery stores, and there's always somebody that's straightening things on the shelves and, you know, making sure that, um, certain products go back to their home. Um, you, you know, is that something that you recommend uh, that dealers do on? A, is it a daily task? Is it a weekly task?
1: It's daily. Um, most stores, even small ones, should have an opening procedure and a closing. So when you're opening in the morning, everybody has a task. And, you know, it's not just pouring yourself a cup of coffee and then talking to each other about their weekend which happens a lot (laughs) and these are your family members because you live with them a lot the opening procedure is who's filling the cash drawer who's um you know stocking the walls because in the morning you you can decide some people like in in the store that I used to run we would stock at night so the last hour of the day when it was pretty dead usually you might get a rush you know, our team was stocking the walls. So it was ready the day, the next day. So you can either vacuum in the morning or you can vacuum at night. You can stock shelves in the morning or stock at night. That's up to you, but make sure you do it the same time every day. You, you always want those customers to see your store at its very best. And, you know, I get it. People want to get out of there. They have lives. But if you spend a little more time organizing and using your closing procedures and and everybody doing their share of the work, it goes a lot smoother that way. And you don't want to miss sales because if you've got, you know, five boxes of freight sitting in the back and it hasn't been checked in and a lot of stuff's important stuff and you miss a sale, that's money. That's money for everybody. So I really feel strongly about it, having an opening and a closing procedure that's consistent and that everybody has a task so that that all these things get handled properly and regularly. Because when your store looks disheveled, people start judging you. And I know that's a terrible thing, but unfortunately, it's true.
0: So on the, um, this is an interesting topic about the opening and closing procedures. Do you recommend a certain checklist then as people are moving throughout the store? Or is it really particular to a certain dealership?
1: And, well it's a signed task, so you would you would have um a housekeeping list, so there would be somebody that would go check the bathrooms, make sure they're stocked ready to go you'd have somebody running a vacuum you'd have somebody you know getting the computers up and running reports or doing that in the evening whenever you want to you just have you might be running a report that says all the special orders so you can call customers and tell them that the orders that they that they got have been received. I mean, there's just a number of things that need to be done, but housekeeping's a big one, you know, wiping down the counters, wiping down the terminals, wiping down, you know, the front door, making sure there's, you know, spider webs aren't hanging down that, you know, that the plants have been watered and just things have been attended to, you know, cause it's, we get really, really comfortable in our businesses and, and you kind of think it's like your house. Some people are very fastidious about their homes and other people are more casual and can let things hang. But these are visitors in your house every single day. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where you can't neglect that stuff of the details. The more you let it slide, like the weeds in the parking lot or you're running the blower or pressure washing the front sidewalk. I mean, may not seem like a big deal, but it all adds up if you're not doing it, you know, Daily weekly monthly, so I think it's important to have a list that starts with housekeeping and then has the other important elements that each team member kind of needs to do because it's not fair to dump it on you know one person like the salesmen get there and they start drinking coffee and then they watch everybody else work in some cases and it's just it's like it's kind of a you know it's a phenomenon but it happens and you're like shouldn't you guys be doing something and they'll be A lot of times bringing motorcycles in and out because a lot of, in our world, in power sports, a lot of the motorcycles get pulled in in the night and they put them in in every nook and cranny of the store and then the daytime, they roll them out. But there's still a number of other things to do to make sure the store is tip top ready.
0: Right. Good points. Um, And then you've talked also about just the psychology of how people shop and understanding that psychology when you set up your retail space. Can you share some more details about that?
1: Yeah, because that's the fun part. That's the part that always intrigues me and in how operators of a store look at customers and what they think the customers excuse me, are motivated by, and that's all across the board. Um, so you really have to think about motivation. Why did I drive to this store? What am I going to expect when I get there? What am I going to see? Am I going to get the thing that I need and get in and out? Am I going to say hi to the, my favorite salesperson? Will they be there? And I can share a story about, you know, this this thing I did this weekend with that thing I bought from you. Customers' psychology is a number of things. They either want to belong to something or they want to get a task done or they want to discover something super cool. They want to have something that their neighbor doesn't have. <laughs> I mean, it really runs the gamut. And and then some of them are totally only motivated by getting the best deal they possibly can. But let's make sure that we understand that customers come to our stores for all kinds of reasons. And we have that opportunity at point of sale in the store to convert that customer into a sale. And that they took their time to come to your store. They didn't buy it online. Because I always think if they didn't buy it online and they came to talk to you, why didn't they buy it online? And and that's a big one because there is a reason why they didn't buy it online. They either aren't convinced about the product in some way or they question it or something or they don't understand it some way. And so they're like, I need to go talk to a real human that knows more about it in some cases, or, you know, I've always had good service or those guys will install it for me. Just understand that customer psychology is part, partially discovery and partially, um, need fulfillment. And it's our job to kind of psychologically harvest what they're really motivated by and not assume that they're there for for a different reason. Now, some people are super transparent, and that's great. You know what you're dealing with, but not everybody is. You'd be surprised what you could sell.
0: Excellent. Good job. Um, well, those are the questions I had. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that, that you wanted to add?
1: You know, there's so many different um, caveats to talking about uh, display and psychology and where you put stuff and lighting and should this be tall and should this be short and should this be dark or should it be rough or smooth? There's a lot of different questions out there I'd really like to throw out to the audience. You know, what do you guys want to know more about? What what kind of information would, would help you make some changes, or adjustments to what you're doing in your store. There's a lot of different strategy out there. You know, a lot of people believe that whole milk in the back like a grocery store, except you're not a grocery store. You know, you your job is you know you're you're a focused store. When you're a dealership, you have a focused retail. And you have some advantages because there's expectations that need to be met. And then there's some desires that need to be met. So I would throw it out to the audience that I would love to talk about this subject in, in any way that they have questions on, because there's a lot of different there's a lot of different cool things. I just love stores and just understand that 70 percent of buying decisions are made in a store and that online purchases are very, very low compared to in-store purchases. It's going to take a long time before online actually takes the business away from stores, believe it or not.
0: Thank you, Jennifer, for sharing how to drive more retail sales. You talked about the motivation of why customers buy, whether it's to do a task, get the best deal, or to own something their neighbor doesn't. One important point to keep in mind In-store purchases still far outweigh online purchases. And if customers are visiting your dealership, they are looking for your expertise to help them make the best equipment purchase. In our next podcast with Jennifer, we'd like to address questions from dealers. So please email comments or questions to lwolf at lessitermedia.com. That's L-W-O-O-L-F at lessitermedia.com. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Yanmar, for helping make this Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast series possible. And please share your feedback on today's program by sending me an email at lwolf at or call me 316-648-3717. You can also keep up on the latest Rural Equipment news and trends by registering online for our e-newsletter and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Stay tuned for additional podcasts and from all of us at Rural Lifestyle Dealer, I'm Lynn Wolf and thanks for listening.